Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. On today's show, a journalist, that's me, a planner and an academic settle into a discussion about why face-to-face, despite this mass homeworking and virtual meeting experiments we've had, will always matter. Planner Martin Crookston and academic John Reeds have just published a book on the subject and over the next 20 minutes or so talk with me about the multiple conversations they've had underscoring the fact that the office is still very much alive and how the need for physical interaction, for inspiration and creativity is what will keep our cities alive and our offices in use. It's a fascinating conversation and one you can delve deeper into if you fancy buying the book. A link to purchase it with a special 20% discount is included in the show notes. But for now, sit back and enjoy this EG Property Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the EG Property Podcast. And today I'm delighted to say I'm being joined by two authors, which is, uh, uh, we don't, often speak to authors on this podcast so it's a nice change of tone for for me anyway joining me today it's martin crookston and jonathan reeds um and we are here to talk about your recently published book um uh, the persistent power of cities in the post-pandemic era which i love for the alliteration in the very very least and it just flows off the off the tongue uh very well and lots of popping peas um and we're going to be talking about the sort of the power of face to face so I, I wonder first actually if I could if I could get both of you just to tell us a little bit of, about yourselves how you come together and and why you've written this book and Martin I'm going to throw first to you if I may. Okay well I'm a strategic planner by training and experience worked all over the world and fascinated by great cities and I'd done some work with the great Sir Peter Hall um, on four world cities uh, 20 years ago or more and I I said to him this is probably something like eight or ten years ago um, how about another book about what's going on in these places why are all these businesses so um difficult to predict and so on and he said oh martin i'm getting a bit too old i've I've written my last book i think but i tell you who you should talk to you should talk to my best phd student of recent years uh john reeds who john tell us more uh, <laughs> well um that that kind of uh, flattery coming from, from Peter Hall is, is certainly something but um so my, my background is actually that i um you know, finished my undergraduate back in the 90s and, and graduated into the first dot-com boom and ended up working for a tech company, uh, despite having a degree in literature of all things. But like Martin, I'd always been fascinated by cities. You know, I was living in New York at the time that I moved to London with the company and at a certain point thought, I want to look at cities in more detail. Uh, I want to kind of, I was looking for a change. I ended up at the Bartlett, had Peter as a as a lecturer and uh, then thought, right, this is the person I need to to kind of pick up with going forward. So the book is actually based largely on the Ph.D. that I originally did with him as my supervisor, but then almost completely rewritten to be less academic in tone. And we went from using big data, which was kind of my background. Uh, I, you know, the Ph.D. was based on work with BT telecommunications 
to then Martin going out and interviewing people all across London uh, and me sitting in on the odd one to make his life difficult. So uh, it was very much a kind of a collaboration we, we found. And I think as we sort of say at the start of the book, I think one of the really interesting things about it is it never would have happened if we hadn't met up face to face, but it never would have been finished without all of these digital collaboration tools. And so that kind of tension is one of the things that in a way is writ large in the book and the kind of dynamics that we see happening, um, you know, now, or at least that we think are happening now. And I think it, it, it you know, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because one of, you know, again, in that sort of intro, when you're, you're talking about it never would have happened if you hadn't met face to face, but, you know, so many things really wouldn't happen if we didn't have all of this wonderful digital infrastructure. Um, but I really liked, and and I think this is so important because there is so much, um, uh, I want to say hot air, but I shouldn't say hot air, um, around the future of cities and the future of, of offices. But you say, you know, that um, the COVID trends, um, you know, have maybe accelerated, we've heard this a lot, I suppose, have accelerated things, but they don't fundamentally disrupt the power of of place and I think that's a really I think that's a really powerful sentence for the industry right now to to be hearing yes I mean I think that we um when when we conclude really at the end of the book we we sort of stress that the how important human contact is and how face-to-face is more important, not less, despite this uh, e-everywhere world. Um, Because, you know, when insight and knowledge are what you're after, face-to-face will always have the edge. So you're right, the ICT, the digital world, allows a huge amount more choice of how you communicate. It accelerates change. It makes contact on an unparalleled scale, but it cannot replace face-to-face. And that brings you back to place all the time, as you picked up, yeah. John? Um, Yeah, I I think to that, I would add, you know, from a sort of property and estate standpoint, you know, it's, it's not a kind of back to business as usual. There are trends that, you know, that we think are, you know, that had begun well before and are accelerated by this, the, you know, the pandemic, but they mean very different things for both different, you know, sizes of town or city in different sectors. Um, and I think one of the, you know, maybe big takeaways from the book would be this kind of divergence between what we talk about as kind of opaque markets, things where, you know, you have to have confidence that the people you're working with know their stuff and they understand both the written rules and the unwritten rules about how business is done versus the more transactional stuff right so we've seen this big shift to online shopping what that means for retail estates uh i think is certainly uh, alarming um even if kind of people do want to pick up some of the you know in-person shopping experience again whereas if you look over to something like high finance or higher education then they're I think there will be this big rush to get you know back in to in person as soon as possible, but with you know hybrid online stuff remaining part of the mix going going forward. So it's there's nuance there underneath that big headline of 
yeah, you know, no one wants to stay working from home permanently or very few people want to, you know, are like, great, I never need to go to the office again. We all miss it. Like we want to get out of the house. We may not miss all of those meetings, but actually seeing our colleagues face to face, it motivates us. It excites us. It, um, you know, we understand things, you know, I'm sure everyone's had the experience now of having to write a long email to kind of try and unpack something that you said as an aside, because that's how you would have done it face to face. And the person would have understood exactly what you meant. But now they've ended up with the wrong end of the stick and it's this kind of nightmare to <laughs> to resolve. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's, you know, it's a messy picture, but I think still, as you know, as you said at the start, a, a good one for places that have things you know, certain features going for them, like accessibility, like distinctiveness, um, you know, and, and, and flexibility of, of, of kind of form and, 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 and environment, if you will. One of the things that um, we tried to do was um, get away from just, uh, it's particularly true with the effect of the pandemic, I think, just what people currently experience and think they're translating that into long term forecasts. I mean, you know, everybody says uh, people don't want they like working from home or they don't like working from home. But actually, that's only a part of it, what the individual workers reaction is. And another part of it, what the businesses would prefer for, if you like, financial and floor space reasons. Yes, they'd probably like to reduce the headcount in, in the office and so on. But actually, what's in behind it and what the sort of slightly more academic chapters, if you like, of the book are about, uh, why it is that businesses can't actually risk leaving these central places and these high contact environments because of the nature of their business. Because as John says, they're in these opaque markets where if you don't really know what's going on with in somebody's head because you've actually eyeballed them, then you're taking risks with yourselves and your investors' money that you'd rather not. And it was interesting. One of the interviews I did, um, a, a guy in the insurance sector, I think it was, said um, – you can sort of keep business going with digital, you know, with Zoom meetings and all that. But new business is practically impossible because the sorts of contacts that you make and then follow up through a sort of touchy feely building relationship are just not the stock in trade of the, uh, the digital meeting or the digital contact generally. Someone put it to me in that when you are, you know, sort of out in the market and meeting, you know, pressing the flesh and all that sort of stuff that we used to do, you kind of build up a a bank account of of goodwill with with people, I, I suppose. And then if you've if you've been around a while, when you come to this situation, you can you can lean back on that. Draw it that, down, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if you yeah if, if you don't know that person, it, it's much much harder. Or if you're new to an industry. You don't have that to 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 fall back on. So yeah, I absolutely agree with agree with that. And so I suppose we we um, having done all this stuff on with interviews of people and their face to face experience and been quite surprised at how strongly in favour it and how important they thought it all was right across a range of industries. Um, we sort of you know. Here comes the pandemic and we think, oh, is this the moment we discover that face to face isn't nearly as important as we thought it was? <laughs> um, and so we went back to 
about a third of our interviewees, and they were brilliant. They came back in uh, by email, I must say, rather than face-to-face this time. But um, they came back in with their reaction to, you know, what's the immediate impact been, what they miss about face-to-face, and is this a flash in the pan or is this a new normal or what? And and really interesting insights from the coalface, as it were, um, over the last uh, nine months, say. And were they were they sort of early on in in lockdown, or have they been spread throughout the lockdown? And have you seen that any was, change? That was fairly early on. That was um, probably early summer. So you could you could have, I guess um, assume that it might be want and desire for face-to-face could be even stronger now yeah. after, in, or, during or they could have in some <laughs> industries i mean because i think one of the things we keep on stressing is that there's always choices here and there always have been it isn't just the pandemic but some industries they'll decide eh, that's tipped us over the edge we we face-to-face wasn't as important as we thought it was in our field but but certainly the great majority of the people we were talking to, uh, it had, if anything, been strengthened by the realisation of what they were missing. Yeah, I think it shook up. You know, I think there were, there, you know, business, you know, like, like all, you know, there's a lot of inertia, right? So a lot of people are going, well, you know, we've always been nine to five or eight to six or whatever, five days a week. You know, people need to be in the office and suddenly realising, well, you know, actually, that's not really true. But over time, of course, what you see are the negative consequences. So, uh, you know, the short term view is great. We can save money. People are happier because they don't need to commute. The long term view is, you know, teams are losing cohesion. You know, the fir- it's hard to keep the firm on the same page. You know, if we have an all company meeting, probably most people are you know, staring out the window at home or, you know, have us, you know, have us on mute and are off doing something else. And so the kind of undervalue so there's a kind of value attached to and in a sense things that might have seemed peripheral to the working day but which we now realize are really important when in these kind of complex environments where you know you need to know other people you need to understand them whether it's your clients your colleagues you know your vendors kind of that that well-rounded picture and and also that that buzz which isn't just there's a part of that that is psychological about working around other people. You know, as an academic, the pandemic almost didn't change my working habits, except I could no longer go to my local coffee shop and work there. But um, so there's there's a there's a buzz that we get from being around other people who are working, and it doesn't matter if we talk to them. But then there's also the buzz of talking shop, not necessarily in a formal way, but just you know, bumping into someone or having a conversation around the you know, down the pub afterwards. Uh, I mean, I think one uh, of the, the things... police are coming for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <The police are laughs> uh, and and, and so that that other yeah. kind of buzz about what the market is doing, in a sense, is the other thing that we progressively lost. You know, one of our interviewees talked about, I didn't realize how, you know, in Soho, I could walk out the door and see kind of trends as they were happening, you know, in shop fronts, in you know, in 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 branding and, and those sorts of things and, and not being aware of that kind of wider background noise that's so important, again, to these kinds of sectors where it's about knowledge, it's about interaction as opposed to transaction. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, I mean, we, we've been talking as though it's all about going back to the office, as it were. Um, but of course, that's shorthand for the whole working day in 
a central city environment. Uh, one of the things that we were really struck by from the interviews was how much the quick coffee catch up is a vital part of the lubrication of working life. You know, I mean, lunch is more or less dead as far as we can see, except in one or two, perhaps law and uh, banking. But almost all the other, the big business lunch hardly happens. Uh, but early evening, absolutely crucial. Bumping into people in cafes and quickly going for a quick coffee from some with somebody from the office. Even they're the absolutely crucial lubrication, um, and that sort of made us think. Well, this has implications for the spaces you build in future, because the serried ranks of offices in floor after floor of identically laid out tower block is probably less important than it's ever been or than it has been for the last 20 or 30 years what's much more important is where are the places where the people will interact in these ways that oil the wheels of business so do you think we'll see uh, um, cities in the future being more more mixed use more campus style more you know everyone uh, i guess throughout um covid has been talking about the 15 minute city or cities made up of of villages, does does the the study and the interviews that you've done feed into into that view at all? I think we have. Um, John has a view on that, which isn't exactly mine. So let him say his bit about <laughs> suburban high streets and so on. Um, I, I, well, I try to I try to remember where, when we've disagreed on this sort of thing, but I, I think my view is that you know cities like London, where you've got density even in kind of the outer bits um and where historically people have depended a lot on public transit i think there's clearly for not you know ridiculous reasons going to be an aversion to taking public transit for the foreseeable future and you know we've got the densities to, to sustain a kind of a more varied high street and a distinctive high street and i think that distinctiveness is important and also that kind of informality walkability so being able to kind of get in a little exercise and a stroll and so it doesn't have to be 15 minutes although 15 minutes is a nice number to you know put a put a pin in but um so i think those will become more attractive uh to kind of city dwellers like i why would i travel to the city center if i can avoid it of course for some types of what i'm also saying is for some times of work you will need to keep traveling to the city center because that's where it's done. I think not to not to flatter myself that academia is like ahead of the curve, but I actually think more knowledge intensive work will look like academic work in that it's, you know, it's got phases where you're going in four days a week, even five days a week and phases where you're going in two days a week, depending on the kind of life cycle of projects, of business cycles, et cetera. And but that doesn't, you know, if, if, if I were thinking in terms of what does this mean for estates and property, then the answer would be, well, it, you actually end up needing a lot more meeting spaces, even if you have fewer desks and fewer offices, because yeah. people show up and they expect to be able to sit somewhere or to meet with people. And if you don't have enough places, then they stop coming in. And, and so, you know, I think universities went through this trend of going, great, you know, let's follow industry into open plan offices we then all made the point no but we need to meet with students in private <laughs> settings we need to meet with collaborators in private settings and suddenly they were finding 
oh, actually, we haven't really <laughs> saved a lot of space because all our offices have been replaced by meeting rooms. So, you know, I think it's um, tricky. Yeah. And I think the um, the break on that sort of suburban high street as a cluster thing is that for an awful lot of the businesses, just keeping the team together is so crucial that unless you all move to Wood Green or Croydon or Uxbridge, yeah. um, then you're left with a split site approach and all this kind of thing. And the, all the things that John mentioned earlier about uh, maintaining contact and cohesion just get difficult and people avoid it, pull back from it in in those sectors where it still matters. You, there's also, you have a... Um... A really great line in the book that that I enjoy because I wonder I wonder on this myself sometimes and you, this is where you're talking the doing deals um, chapter and you're talking about why specific place matters I suppose and it's where you ask the question of why um, you know why people still pay you know hundred pound plus rents to be in Mayfair when they could be in I think the example you used was Watford um and 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 just and just just some thoughts about apart from the obvious why people would would choose to pay so much to do a job in an office that could look very similar in an office in Watford but do it in May, Mayfair what what's the draw there why do they need the face-to-face -face building yes. <clears throat> sorry yes it's the, the why central London question um isn't it the, the some of it's um some of it's signaling isn't it i mean the, 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 although not many of our interviews were big on the prestige point um some of it's being seen to be ready and genuinely ready and available at very short notice to be where your key contact whether they're clients or um co-conspirators or whatever are um and some of it uh is to do with being in central london because offering central london to the staff is um is, is very important too that actually um particularly with the younger staff that's what they're here for they they want central london not watford you know so there, there are quite a lot of things going on there labor market prestige proximity to client, frequency of need for contact, they all play a role there. The the really pricey places, um, it seems to be a mixture of signalling that you're part of this market, which is true of, I think, the um, venture, venture capitalists in Mayfair, and it's true quintessentially of the insurance trade in EC3. Because not only have you got them there, you also got the lawyers who serve that particular trade in EC3 as well, um, rather than clustered around the temple, for example. So there's, there's, there are quite a lot of overlapping factors there, which vary slightly from business to business. But they're obviously still, well, as you picked up, the, the fact that the rental differentials are so great means that sort people are they either they find it worth paying or they don't not pay it which is what back to what i was saying earlier about the the fear of not being in the swim i, I think just to kind of expand on on what martin was saying yeah you know, we don't 
talk a lot about San Francisco, for instance, but that, you know, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, it's a very similar, I think, type of dynamic where, you know, the really big firms, you know, Apple, Facebook, et cetera, are based in Silicon Valley. Um, but it seems somehow significant to me that they've had to develop a private parallel transit system to take their employees from San Francisco out to Silicon Valley, right? So that kind of historical dynamic of, you know, people wanted to move to the Valley, get a detached house, et cetera. Yes, as people become more senior, then obviously that looks quite attractive. But, you know, when your workforce is, you know, when your your key labor pool is kind of young, highly skilled, very talented, you know, they want to be in the city. It's it's where you go to kind of, you know, reinvent yourself, to have fun, to, you know, to and, and also hedge against Ooh, well, you know, there's a better opportunity just come up and I don't have to move to take it because I'm already here. Um, so amenity, the, the amenity of the central city is, is a big part of it. I also think that when you look at these different sectors that are really concentrated in the middle, there's this issue of scale, too, because, you know, if you are in, the, say, the movie trade, um, you know, or, or the ad trade, Soho is central at multiple scales. You know, it's got... You know, globally, you can fly into Heathrow, less so the other airports, you know, but easily travel to central London, be at a meeting, you know, the infrastructure is all there to support that. But it's also very easy to reach from the wider region. So if your senior staff live out in the home counties and your junior staff live in central London, that's easy to reach. And then locally, you've got this kind of really dense infrastructure of supporting services. So whether it's screening rooms or you know, post editing, you know, studios and VFX people, all of that's sort of right there where, you know, if a problem comes up, you just walk around the corner and have a meeting. And, and that kind of so that centrality at multiple scales is, I think, the other thing that you're getting when you're in the city center, whereas a kind of a suburban location is not central anymore. People have to make an effort to get there. It's you know, maybe as convenient for your immediate workforce. But if what you really need is to meet very in a very ad hoc unpredictable way outside of your you know immediate company then you you find yourself needing that that centrality much more and you don't see that as being changed because of of this moment in time that we're going through and that you know i can have i can probably have more ad hoc meetings with people all over the country all over the world now using using teams like we are we are now than I could, you know, we were based, or we are based in in the city in Bishopsgate, whereas I know that it would take me 20 minutes to get over to the the West End to have Mm -hmm. that ad hoc meeting. Do you you see any shift there? And uh, or do you think that the desire, the want to, you know, really be able to pick up on people's um, body language and those sort of things will will overcome that? There's a sort of you tell me question because it's interesting <laughs> that you you've mentioned it. Um, <clears throat> if you and your colleagues could all do this work and generate the new stuff and um, draw on the surrounding services in Bishopsgate, and you could do that if you were based further out. I don't know where. Where's the where's the next port of call for something like that? Um, Stratford, maybe, I don't know, maybe further out. Um, your Estates Gazette's owners might do that, um, 
they might shed quite a few stuff on the way. I don't know. Um, but business, as, as we say in the book, businesses are always on the cusp of that kind of choice. And they have been before the pandemic. You know, this is just a sharper form of those trends of, you know, the 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 onset of digital, the threat of artificial intelligence, then the pandemic's questions. Um, I think that uh, we can't give an answer to that. what we're saying is that it's it's amazing how sticky mm-hmm. and long run those uh, those central uh, affinities are. Um, but you're quite right. You can't take them for granted. And and this pandemic has asked questions of all of them. <laughs> I, I think the one way of possibly thinking about, and I think that's a really pertinent point and 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 question is, in a sense, there there there's a there's a chart which we didn't reproduce in the book, but it was in my PhD, kind of showing. I don't know how robust the data to support this is. Basically, you know, increases of communication parallel increases in travel. So in other words, you know, we were motivated to have this team's conversation. And since we didn't have any, you know, the ability to do it in person, Teams is perfectly acceptable. Now, it might be that you say, wow, you know, we had such a good chat. We should really bring, you know, Martin and John in as regular contributors. At that point, we'd be looking to have a relationship. And at some point, you know, we would want that to be in person. It might be a kind of an informal meeting up every so often, but that's because, in a sense, we're not working day to day to try to deal with something complex. It's we have a very specific thing to achieve. And hey, you know what? You're right. It is easier to do this uh, virtually, um, you know, especially right now. Um, But if you look over at the process of, you know, graphic design, you know, advertising or something where you've got these highly specialized skills and the kind of the output of that is much less defined. I mean, what's a revolutionary product or a revolutionary ad campaign? You kind of know it when you see it, but it's very hard to articulate. And I think those sorts of things, that's that's where I think the pressure to get back together as quickly as possible will be. But with this now being part of the mix, I mean, for instance, you know, in our own, um, you know, we continue to run our seminar series, uh, you know, for our department and we've run it online and we've realized, actually, this is great. We're reaching more people than we ever did when we had it face to face. But we also still really miss the talks down the pub, which is where we got the collaboration started. Same way I've had conversations with people over in the U.S., academics over in the U.S. We're really excited about some things that we could do together. But I would be willing to, you know, make a substantial bet that none of that will really get off the ground without somebody getting on a plane. Because it's, you know, because success is ill-defined, the project is complex, the outcomes are uncertain. We really need to demonstrate the commitment by traveling. We need to be in the room to kind of be like, yes, this person's excited. Yeah, we can make this happen. That sort of exchange is what face-to-face gives you that teams does not i don't think or zoom or any of the other available yes yeah yeah i'm not singling out microsoft here uh, uh yes i have my irritations with all of these software. i thought what when i was um uh, reading through the book there were a couple of of words that i wrote down when um you had people explaining why why face-to-face mattered and 
and and John, you pick, you picked up on them a little bit earlier, but the stimulus was one one word that I thought was a really um, interesting and uh, word, and it made me think. You know, that's why I like face to face, um, because you you feel you feel something. And and one thing that we haven't talked about yet uh, was the power of of place, the power of face to face is is joy and fun. And I think that. Um, you know, throughout the last year, people have been a bit afraid to talk about fun and, and joy, um, not only because it's quite difficult to do in 2, 2D, but also because, you know, we just feel it's, it's not appropriate right now. But that is one of the reasons to get together, isn't it? That you you share passions and um, have some fun and interact with people on a completely different level. Yes, there's yeah. one uh, one woman I interviewed was a market researcher was absolutely full of, you know, I came to central London because I wanted to enjoy the place and interact with people. And face to face is absolutely critical. It's where you get all your buzz from. So see, it was just a sort of nonstop stream of that uh, joy of that central place and, um, and having sort of come to love it but also it being integral to her modus operandi as a market researcher you know of um that's a job about getting face to face with people the way she does it qualitative research and it was clearly just an entirely integral part of how she thought about living and working in london um and that and, and that was the fun aspect of it for her not just it, not not just that it was efficient, um, but that it was actually a, a, a key part of her professional being. And and do you, I, I guess sort of thinking about our our listeners to today being you know sort of the the buyers of real estate, the designers of real estate, the developers, the you know the town and and city planners. Do you I guess what what would be your your takeaway for for them as to the future of of places you know it's a, it's a debate that is going it seems to have gone full circle throughout covid and the, you know we started with the death death of the office and then suddenly lockdown three everyone is desperate to get back and the office is <laughs> alive again do you yeah. have have a, have a more um measured i suppose well um, i mean i think what we've Towards the second half of the book, we sort of, or the later parts of the book, we try and say what we think the long-term future might be for different sorts of place. And, you know, for the, the big cities, the great world cities, for sure, we think they'll continue to have huge advantages. And, I mean, success isn't guaranteed because they've got all sorts of stuff to resolve about housing and living conditions and so on, which are part of being in as it happens very unequal societies but um but basically they're they're very well set up and their central business districts are going to carry on growing slower more differently with um continued decentralization um and possibly with some classes of rental dropping quite a bit but being backfilled by uh uses and activities that just pay lower rates to be back in the city. For the smaller places, um, we think that the, the sort of medium-sized cities, you know, the Manchester's and the Munich's and the Barcelona's and so on, uh, similar sorts of strengths, although less guaranteed. 
it's the smaller places where we actually spend some time. We we spend quite some time looking at Shrewsbury, just as a typical Middle England town, and warning that you can't just sit there waiting for decentralizers to drop with a plop into your lap because you haven't got the advantages that some people seem to think you have you know these businesses if they can decentralize to shrewsbury they can decentralize to bangalore um and and so i think we're very very um careful to say you know we don't think you should be planning on huge expansions of the sort that were in your plans 10 years ago uh, for the towns of this size it's, it's interesting that shrewsbury's plans they're very similar to the french town we looked at which is similarly in the middle of the middle of the country bourge um you know they've got these development plans where you think stop it don't be silly um and and then there's also a category of place which was struggling already and um, where you you really are trying to think hard how they can do the, the former industrial towns, of course. You know, life has probably got even more difficult for them. Um, they're still in the place where they've got to define new roles for themselves. So we do try and work our way down the scales like that. But for the big central cities that are our focus, we think it's... Um, as I say, continued growth, but not just a straight line um, uh, and and not just the um, uh, continued huge expansion of conventional offices. But still opportunity there for, for yeah, this industry? Yeah. Uh, uh, for certainly, I think that the, the property bit business are going to have a really interesting time working out, you know, is co-working a bubble or not? Um, what are we going to do about these meeting spaces? Do we build them in? Do we invest in um, small packages of them? Uh, you know, what about business parks? Have, have they got a long-term future? Why? What for? What What do they offer now? Um, uh, certainly they don't in the high face-to-face sectors um and and so and uh, the other sector of course it obviously is logistics um you know the supply chains have gotten more and more technically complex so is the future big sheds or is it something a lot more technically complicated where involving things like what they call last mile hubs in the suburbs and um uh much more much more technically uh, complex places that aren't just stacks and stacks of boxes um very interesting piece in your states gazette special um came out i think last week did it by james your head of uh, research yeah um uh, about industrial real estate really good piece really thoughtful about um what that sector uh, future looks like. So I think it's the, the the property business is going to be tearing its hair out, but enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my my take on, on on this is that you know the if we can work from increasingly and and bear in mind that this is you know as as I think we said earlier, kind of a tale of two very different types of economy, right? So traditional retail um and 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 kind of manufacturing things like that are facing a very different set of dynamics in terms of um the options and the and the pressures there but on the kind of skills intensive side 
you know, if you can work from home, what's going to get you out of the house? Well, yes, is the possibility of meeting up with your colleagues, but not in the equivalent of a of an office barn, right? I mean, maybe maybe a literal kind of renovated old barn with character, but you know, not a kind of a warehouse for people as opposed to stuff. And I think so. So my and my sense is too that you know, the the kind of self-contained environment of the business park, you know, I don't quite see what the attraction of that is when you could kind of say, let's go out for a coffee, let's, you know, have a conversation in, you know, that little sandwich shop around the corner. So, so work becoming kind of more flexible and this idea of it being more integrated with its surroundings, more distinctive and, and more potentially central. Now, of course, that raises problems with commuting and, you know, all of that. But my instinct is, is that the kind of build, you know, build it in a month uh, to a standard plan is is kind of not where the value is going to be. As, as our some of our interviewees said, you know, it's a flight to quality, not you know, it's very much away from quantity, I, I think, is kind of the, the, the picture there. Yeah. And then I guess final question to, to round round us up would be, you know, it's, it's clear that, um, you know, cities do have a future. People do want to get together. We do like face to face. It is um, integral or essential to 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 what we what we do and how how we are. Um, but I wonder, is enough being done right now to ensure that our cities are are going to make it, I suppose, to be able to, when we can, all get back together and be face to face? They're still going to be there. You know, I look at I look at London and, um, you know, a place that was so vibrant is is a little bit sad at, at times now when you when you go in and and. You know, if you if you did used to step out the door of your office in Soho and and you know be hit with all the all the culture and all the arts and and life that there was going on there and and now you don't feel feel that, you know, yeah. are we are we doing enough to really bring it back? Well, I think there's um, I mean there are efforts, aren't they? West End Company, West End Company, and people like that are on it in a sense, but in a way we won't know to some extent until restrictions are lifted and we see what doesn't come back because quite a lot of businesses will just have died and not be resuscitated i think so that that will be a bit of a test for your question i think um and again the sort of nervousness about public transport that you both mentioned um will act as a bit of a drag as well i suspect because people are going to get fed up always paying the congestion charge and not being able to park um but they won't be very attracted very quickly by going straight back to having their nose rammed up against somebody else's ears <laughs> on the underground so i think those things uh, will take a long time to work through and um as i say one, one knows that some of the agencies are on it um but whether there's a sort of concerted plan is is a bit more difficult to see yeah i i think uh, you know if i can be political for a minute i'm not sure that the current government is particularly keen on cities because they don't tend to hold lots of voters uh, <laughs> or people who vote their way shall we say um so it might be tempting to say well 
you know, make it pay for, you know, as, as has happened with Transport for London, for instance, right? So in comparison to London, you know, last year, Luxembourg made public transit free, completely and utterly free. And the view was that the benefits flowing from that would actually pay for itself in other ways. Whereas here, the decision is made, you know, public transit of all mass transit of all forms has to pay for itself. And so if we expect London to get back to, in a sense, as normal, um, you know, which was doing all of that great work uh, that produced value that sort of spilled out into the rest of the country, same as Manchester doing that. If we expect that to happen without making the mass transit options attractive, we're going to get a real collision between two very different dynamics. And the result of that could be much lower footfall. Maybe it's people willing to pay a much higher price, uh, in which case, you know, retail becomes more high end, et cetera, or more mass, you know, or very kind of mass market oriented. Um, the, you know, I think also looking at, in a sense, how do we, uh, my, again, my feeling is, is that things around kind of permitted development rights are taking things in exactly the wrong direction, um, which is there, there's going to be a lot of vacant properties, uh, you know, as Martin was mentioning. Do we want those converted to residential? Um, well, short term, that might seem like a good idea. But actually, if your entire high street has been replaced by, you know, low quality housing because it were spaces that were never meant to be lived in, I'm not sure that's a good thing for city centers either. Although I do agree with you that kind of mixed use does seem like a stronger there's a stronger argument for that now because the single use zone has this event either you can't get to where you need to work or you can't get to where you, you know like one way or the other people can't move around you know and if we do go through similar lockdowns again i mean hopefully we don't but if we do then you know there's a point at which those habits become ingrained yeah i think people we're, we are creatures of habit as much as we also like to think that we're unique and creative. Um, if it becomes a habit never to travel, then, you know, we'll find ways of making it work. It'll be impoverished, but we'll kind of get around that. So I, I would love to see some more visionary thinking around what we can do. So, you know, meanwhile uses, pop-up uses, things, you know, decreased rents in the city center in places like London might not actually be a bad thing. Well, there'll be a bad thing for property investors who've kind of expected a certain you know, cash flow, but actually London has been, you know, become so unaffordable that actually the kind of middle was hollowed out. And this might be a chance to kind of rediscover some of those, um, that, that range of uses that makes for a vibrant city, because it's not just about, you know, the hedge funds and the retail workers, there's that middle, which is actually where kind of, you know, people are trying out crazy ideas doing a start where they don't have much money, they need a meanwhile space to get it off the ground that's cheap. And so London could look very different for the, you know, foreseeable future, but it might actually be a more balanced city to live in. And, and those benefits might also flow to other places like Manchester, where, you know, there's been studentification and kind of these other dynamics that I think have made city centers more, more like playgrounds and less like, you know, centers of industry, perhaps. I guess uh, value comes in many different forms, doesn't it? Not just in your your rental retu rental return. Yeah, well, and also, you know, is it, you know, are you maximizing rent or maximizing occupancy? 
So I think, you know, there's different ways to kind of make to make the sums add up. And, uh, you know, I'm always struck by, you know, walking around central London, how long some properties remain vacant for where I was thinking if I were sitting on that, you know, I just want somebody in there doing something with it, even if it's, you know, half what I expected to get. But I get, you know, I, I, I'm not in real estate, so there may well be things I understand. <laughs> you can cut this part. <laughs> you'll be you'll be getting emails. You'll be getting emails. Um, yeah. if people if people want to um get hold of the book, have a have a good read and and take take even more away from that than than hopefully they've been able to from our from our conversation today. Where do they? Where do they go? Where do they get their hands on it? Uh, so it is, uh, I believe the marketing message was all respectable retailers or something kind of <laughs> like that. But you can buy it direct from Bristol University Press with a 20% discount. Um, Martin and I traded the great wealth that was promised from uh, from our licensing, uh, from royalties for a lower book price. So I think, I think from Bristol, you can get it for about 16 pounds. And 20% off. I mean, what an offer. Martin, John, thank you so much for a really <clears throat> fascinating conversation. Well, Everyone buy the book. Much. It's a really great, great read. And there's lots for people to take away there. So, John, Martin, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data. Music